Hello and welcome back to my podcast, The Fast Break, where I break down the relationship between sports, politics, and the media, and just how the, that relationship has changed uh, over history. My name's Drew Pickard, and uh, let's let's break it down. So on this week of the episode, we'll, we're going to break down the political world of the Olympics, looking at four games in particular. Um, and these games that I chose are the 1936 Berlin Olympics, the 1968 Mexico City Olympics, the 1978 Munich Olympics, and the more recently um, held games, the 2016 Rio Olympics. Uh, now, when most people think of the Olympics, you know, they think of the, this 16-day-long competition where countries from just various parts of the world, they come together and compete in over over a laundry list of sports, uh, you know, trying to beat records that are both personal and, um, you know, they're, they're world records as well. And, you know, at, at the surface, they're, they're not wrong. Um, because at one point, you know, I thought of I thought the Olympics in the same way, and I would have never thought the Olympics would have such a such a negative connotation to it, um, which which I'll which I'll explain explain why the, uh, you know they have that. Um, but during my four years here, I got I actually got the chance to take a class that was that talked all about the Olympics, and uh, you know this was a very eye opening class for me because like I said, um, you know I thought the Olympics were this. Um, place for fun and fair competition to uh to happen but um you know as as my professor would um go into detail about it and give examples about it uh you know you would see that it's it wasn't all that um and he actually would like start start the start this class always joking around talking about how the olympics uh they were made for stay-at-home wives who he usually watch daytime television uh, in their free time and he would also go on to say how how the olympics like i said don't care about um you know fair competition um and it's something completely different um than what is broadcasted to the people um you know when he first described the olympics in this way i, I was completely got off caught off guard because I, you know i was that person who who enjoyed watching people compete in the olympics um you know you don't you don't get it every year it's a two-year or four-year event so um when it comes on you know it's fun to see um you know and just not to mention the rich history of the games and just all the great athletes who've made who've had the opportunity to make a name for themselves so when he when he was describing this uh you know i was i was shocked but um you know as he continued to support the claims that he made and uh you know showed examples of them um you know slowly it slowly began to make sense so now to get started with uncovering the darker side of the Olympics, uh, we go to, we look at Germany, uh, Berlin to be more specific, uh, in the year 1936. And, um, you know, these games, they were held at the height of Germany's power and um, and Hitler just used the international stage of the Olympics uh, as a propaganda tool just to show the rest of the world uh, Hitler's strength and Germany's strength um, and just, and just trying to share, and just an attempt to to have Germany in a positive light, um, you know, and the propaganda that he was trying to get out there was was this idea of a uh, of a perfect Aryan race, and um, you know, leading up to these games, Jewish people and and other uh, citizens who didn't fit into that perfect race, Hitler's perfect race, um, they were excluded from different athletic clubs, different stores. Um, and just and just slowly ha- started to have their civil liberties um, just slowly taken away from them, um, with the ever growing message that you know 
Aryans are these quote unquote greatest in the world um, and yada, yada, yada. So uh, this idea from Hitler was immediately laid to rest during these games. Uh, and that is when American track and field star Jesse Owens took home um, four gold medals for his performances um, in the long jump, the 100 and 200 meter sprint and the four by 100 meter relay. And so now Owens, he ran back in the States, he ran for um, Ohio State University uh, before these games and was very successful there, um, always tying or beating world records, um, usually in the 100 meter sprint. And uh, after these games, you know, Owens would actually become a, a hero to everyone, um, to everyone really besides, you know, Hitler and his and his sympathizers because um, because of his performance, um, you know, at this event, uh, at at an event where um, you know the the main goal was to show the the dominance of um, of Aryan athletes, um, you know, and this this black American track star he comes in and just wins uh, four gold medals in in four different um, in four different events. It just it just um, you know showed showed Hitler and showed Germany and the rest of the world. Um, that there's really no such thing as a perfect race, and it really just put a put a damper on Hitler's message. And um, you know, after these games, there was actually a legend um, back um, from 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 newspapers uh, in in the U.S. how how Hitler snubbed a handshake from Owens um, because of you know his embarrassment of not not being able to show the rest of the world that um, you know Aryans are superior. Now, as we travel across the Atlantic Ocean, we land in Mexico City uh, in the year 1968 uh, to look at the actions taken by two American sprinters, Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Now, the U.S. during the late 60s was a time filled with protests, uh, you know, whether it be about the war in Vietnam, the civil rights movement or gender equality. Uh, you know, these kind of protests, they seem to happen regularly. Um, and now in this case, um, with Smith and Carlos, they were protesting in the name of civil rights. Um, and they did this by holding up their fists, but fists started wearing uh, black leather gloves um, while, while standing on the podium. And, um, you know, they also took off their shoes to represent poverty and wore uh, beaded necklaces and a scarf uh, to protest uh, lin- the, 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 uh, the lynching that was happening in the U.S. at this time. Um, and... You know, on the podium with them was an Australian um, athlete, Peter Norman. And uh, although he didn't join the other two in raising their fists, um, he was actually the one uh, to give them the idea um, to do so. So, um, you know, during the playing of the national anthem, the crowd began uh, booing um, and just shouting racist things towards them. Um, And they eventually actually had to be escorted from the stadium. Um, And as a response to this, the IOC, the the International Olympic Committee, they they told the uh, U.S. team to to suspend them from the team and ban them from the Olympic Village. And as a response, um, you know, with them being their own guys, the U.S. refused um, refused the uh, proposal from the IOC. And then the IOC came back um, to the um, American track and field team and said, "If you don't suspend these two, your whole team uh, is going to be suspended." So um, they kind of folded in that sense and. Uh, uh, you know they they sent the uh, two athletes back to the U.S. and um, on their return um, to the states, both Smith and Carlos they were met with uh, you know death threats and just um, racial abuse for their actions. Um, Time Mag- Time Magazine uh, they wrote a piece called "Faster, Higher, Stronger" is the motto of the Olympic Games. Angrier and nastier and uglier best describes the scene in Mexico City last week. Um, another 
another article um, written by uh, Brett Moosberger, um, who wrote for the uh, for the uh, Chicago American and then later worked for CBS Sports and ESPN. Um, he described the acts taken by Smith and Carlos as, um, you know, and this is not my word, so excuse me, but um, a couple black skinned stormtroopers who were juvenile and unimaginative. Um, so you can just see from uh, American media the reaction um, of this stunt. Now, just looking at the third person that was on the podium with them, uh, Peter Norman, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, he too was affected from this protest. Uh, coming from Australia, no- Norman also was aware of how his country's government uh, treated African Americans and just the uh, the civil unrest happening there. So um, although Norman did not raise his fist, um, he, he, he did decide to wear a badge um, f- um, representing the Olympic protection for human rights, which just kind of, um, you know, solidified his stance on the matter and why he got so much backlash um, for, uh, you know, for his involvement in this. And, and the rest of the story for Peter Norman um, is just not the happiest en- endings. Uh, you know, while you have both Smith and Carlos, how, uh, you know, they were, they were slowly accepted back into the, uh, uh, back into the Olympic world and uh, went on to pursue uh, careers in football. But, uh, you know, like I said, Norman was not so fortunate. Um, you know, after his, after attempting to qualify for the next couple games and not, and not being able to uh, participate in them, uh, he eventually retired from the sport. Um, and he, he unfortunately began to uh, suffer from depression and addiction and alcoholism. Um, and he would actually never get an apology from the Australian government uh, for their actions until six years um, after his death in 2012. Um, and as for Smith and Carlos, uh, well, they, well, they will go down in American sport history for their bravery, um, of course, and just shedding light on such a powerful movement that was the civil rights movement. Now, moving on to our next set of games, we're going to look at the events that took place during the 1972 Munich Olympics, where a group of Palestinian terrorists who called themselves Black September stormed the Olympic village where they kidnapped, then killed 11 Israeli athletes. Now, the relationship between these two countries are famous for just never-ending conflict. Uh, beginning all the way back during the, ninth, during the mid-20th century, you know, the fight for the West Bank continues to this day. So now as we go back to the, now we go back to the games, they were uh, ironically called the Games of Peace and Joy by the, gov- by the German government. Um, you know, this was their first time uh, hosting the Games uh, after the 1936 Olympics, and, and they just wanted to show the rest of the world uh, a more positive side of Germany. But anyway, let's get back to the event itself. So why did this happen, and what was the reason? Well, after successfully taking the Israeli hostages, sorry, athletes um, hostage, uh, the terrorists, they demanded that Israel release um, 234 Palestinian prisoners, um, you know, that were um, imprisoned in Israel. And if they uh, failed to do so, then all the hostages would be executed. Uh, so what did this mean for the games um, with this happening directly outside um, in the Olympic Village? Well, after learning about the attacks, the president of the um, IOC, um, Avery, Avery Brunage, he actually declared that the games must go on. And yeah, so, you know, there's a hostage situation taking place by, de- by terrorists and they're threatening death. And the IOC, 
still move forward with the games. And I just think that that was a little strange. Um, if I was in that position, I, I understand the pressure of it, but, um, you know, I, I think I would, I would go, go about it a little differently, but, um, finally after the pressure after the pressure given to him um you know they finally suspended the games and uh the olympics were um were put on hold later on in that after afternoon so now all the attention is focused um on these apartments you know every eyeball every camera they're all glued to the um israeli apartments and um the whole world was just watching in horror as the situation began to play out but um, after negotiations uh, with the terrorist with the terrorists from uh, the German police, after they failed, um, the terrorists they actually requested two helicopters um, to fly them to Egypt and you know get away from Munich. Um, so after after that request, the German police they agreed and um, you know they used this um, opportunity um, as a way to ambush the terrorists while they were um, switching um, from van to helicopter while at the airport and. Uh, you know, this plan, it eventually failed um, just from a lack of equipment and um, experience on the on the German side. So um, a shootout, uh, a shootout ensued and all all terrorists, all Israeli athletes uh, perished in the attack along with um, five of the terrorists. So, uh, you know, back in Palestine, the terrorists who died um, in the gunfight, you know, they were buried as martyrs. They had the full hero um, hero funeral uh, with their caskets being paraded in the streets. Um, and you know this kind of leads me to to a question, a difficult one, um, and that is, you know, does terrorism work? Um, and unfortunately, I think um, in this case, in in the case of Munich, um, is is yes. And why I think that is because you know before these attacks, um, no one really knew about Palestine or their cause. Um, you know, um, but now after the attacks, with with all the the media coverage it got, uh, the name Palestine was repeated hundreds of times to the entire world, and uh, you know it was it was put on a map. Palestine was put on a map, um, and you know years after the the this this massacre, um, you know one of the one of the only surviving terrorists when when looking back at um, 1972, um, he was quoted saying, you know just. He was quoted saying, "It helped Palestine. It helped the Palestinian cause tremendously. Before Munich, the world had no idea about our struggle. Now, the whole world knows about Palestine, and that's exactly what I was saying before. How, um, you know, in this case, it does work. So, fortunately, when 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 we do talk about these games, <clears throat> you know, they're they're, they're always going to be remembered about this massacre, and it always it always come up in the conversations when talking about Munich, nineteen seventy two. So." Um, that was Munich and, uh,